Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove as we kick off another week. Uh, this is episode 57, so I suppose we should dedicate it to ketchup. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a bad condiment, really, if you uh, if you like condiments. But um, I'm Tom Baker, and we are – this is going to be a very different kind of show, folks. So uh, settle in and sit back and relax. Um, you won't believe this. I mean, it's almost, it is almost unbelievable, but I promise you it's true. You're going to hear his voice in a minute. Camden Proud is back on U.S. soil. Camden, welcome back, man. Thank you. I made it back safely. It's just really good to be back. And, you know, I hope next time I go overseas, I don't miss as many shows. I missed episode 54. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah you missed can... your own show. Come on, <laughs> so man. maybe we can find a way to do sound next time. <laughs> yeah, you missed your own show. Um, it's uh, well, we'll try to make up for it today. So, uh, yeah, I mean, welcome back to the to the U.S. Uh, you know, we hope that you enjoy your backyard deck for uh, the next uh, oh, you know, however long before we can actually go out and have a good time and do something again. We'll get to um my thoughts on that later because i'm sorry folks but you're gonna have to endure it today i'm just it's 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 time um so i want to know about norway man you you went to norway you were there what like 37 days or something yeah 34 days 34 days yeah Mike Rizzo days. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what's all about super modified racing, man? It's what this show is. Um, so you're over there uh, for over a month. I mean, you know, obviously this is a, a – sometimes it's good to sort of – as much as we all are into racing, it's good to remember that there's more to life than that. And, and I, I want to just kind of get some perspective because, first of all, you went to somewhere clear across the world, um, and you were there for a, a good amount of time. So, um, you know, where is where is Norway in this whole sort of COVID situation? I mean, w- what have they dealt with, and and how are they handling things, and what's going on over there with regard to any of that? Yeah, uh, they're they're doing a really good job, actually. They've been able to, to keep things under control pretty well. Uh, I believe there's six or seven different regions of Norway, and I was all the way up north, like near Russia, as far north as you can get, oh, gosh. Uh, and, and Finnmark. Don't get and too close. Finnmark is doing really, really well. Uh, my, my girlfriend's town where she lives, they didn't have any active cases at all when I was there. So, yeah. um, you know, there's about six million people there in the whole country, so much smaller scale than here, but they've been averaging anywhere from 20 to 50 cases a day in the whole country. So it's a much different situation. It's it's uh, it's really interesting um, to I would think for someone to uh, to travel the way that you did and see just a whole different perspective on you know how that's approached and and you know how it took form there versus here but of course the population is so much smaller over there too 
Right. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, you know, there was a lot of similar stuff. The the social distancing, it's it's one meter apart instead of six feet. You still had to wear masks in some places, but um, it was kind of a little bit of a taste of, of normalcy, of, of normal life. And uh, I could actually, you know, go to a bar out to eat and not have to sit there with a mask on and, you know, obviously go places with her friends and family and, and get to meet everyone and shake hands and just feel a lot safer there um, because of how low the numbers are compared to where it is here. It's just a totally different feeling. Could you shoot darts though at the bar? <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't shoot darts, but I, I did dance and, and sing in the bar. So Cuomo wouldn't be too wait, wait, about oh, that, oh, wait, time, time out, back up a second. I, I, I want to make sure I just heard right what you said. Cause I think we're going to frighten some of the listeners here. Did you <laughs> say that you sang in a bar? Amongst amongst ourselves. Yeah. Not on a mic, thank God. Oh, I oh, I see. Okay, All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was gonna say, man, there, the, I'm, I'm, we're, we're gonna. If if that was the case, I'm like, you can't go all the way over to Norway and regale those people with your 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 vocal skills if you're not coming over here and doing the same thing. That's not right. Okay, well, we'll let you go <laughs> since it was just within your group then. Um, That's right. But uh, so, what what is the country like over there? I mean, the pictures that you were posting were just absolutely like breathtaking uh yeah i mean the the best way i can describe it is uh uh kind of like a out-of-body experience some of the places you go to um i was fortunate enough to be able to go when the midnight sun was still in session and Ugh. uh it's you know 24 7 daylight you you walk around at two or three o'clock in the morning and it feels like it's the middle of the day but there's nobody out wow. except you and uh we we just kind of drove around uh her her area uh, an hour or so away and i mean her town like i said it's as far up north as you can go and you drive an hour hour and a half out of vatsa where she lives and you feel like you're at the end of the world i mean it's just remarkable the the untouched beauty they have there now how does that how does the 24 hours you know 24 hour sunlight or whatever how does that work with your circadian rhythm, how do you sleep? I mean, were you able to maintain sort of the same time schedule of, of you know, going to sleep at the same time, getting up, you know, relatively to what you would do here? Or how how does that work? Yeah, um, you know, I told her before I came, I, I can't, like in my house here in Oswego, I have to have room darkening curtains all the time because I just don't do well with sunlight in the yeah, morning. Yeah. So I said man, if it's going to be light 24 seven, we got to get some curtains. So, so she did and, and had that all set up and I surprised myself. I actually slept pretty well and, you know, didn't oversleep too much. I wasn't too jet lagged the first few days, so it really didn't bother me. But, um, the hardest part for me was some nights we would go for like a midnight one, 2 AM walk and be out in the sunlight and swinging on swings and walking in the park and <laughs> doing all this stuff. So then I couldn't go to sleep when we got back to the house, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's totally different, obviously, from anything I've experienced. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it has to be just such a different, uh, vibe in that situation. Um, do, now do they drive on the right, on the opposite side of the road too over there or no? Nope. They, they drive okay. the same as here the and okay. it's pretty much all the same rules. The one thing I had to get used to is that you always have to yield to the cars coming to your right, no matter what. So I almost wrecked a few times. I survived and uh, <laughs> <laughs> had to uh, kind of reteach myself how to 
uh, drive a standard. I the only time I've done it is with the the small block. So we were laughing our butts off because I kept trying to get it out of the driveway like 15 times before I finally got going. And, you know, she's like, come on, dude, really? Didn't you drive a race car that does this? And I guess, you know, I, I lost my touch. So <laughs> I had to get used to that all over again. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, it's different though in a passenger car. And of course, I don't know about now, but I mean, back when I was working for race on driving experience in Memphis a bunch of years ago, um, I, I actually could shift Clutch and shift the stock car, but it was, I think, but, but it's a whole different type of transmission, right? You don't really, like, the clutch is almost an afterthought. You technically could shift it without clutching. You can't do that in your passenger car, I don't think, can you? Yeah. You yeah, it was be, tricky. It was yeah. a lot harder than, than the Limited. It yeah. took me three or four days to really get it down where I was comfortable. And, um, yeah, so I did that, and then I tried to take her moped out and, uh, didn't severely injure myself doing that. So that was good. And <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. Well, that's great, man. So, I mean, did you just spend a lot of time kind of hanging out or did, cause it looked like from the pictures you were doing a lot of sort of sightseeing kind of travel around the area, or is that just sort of the, the, the area where you were staying that you could kind of access that and take all those shots? Yeah, we um, we kind of laid low the first 10 days. They asked that you isolate, but uh, I was allowed to go out and, you know, be out in the nature and, and, and see things. And most of the pictures I posted are all on the peninsula where she lives. It's called the Varaner Peninsula. Yeah. And all those towns and, and places like that are within a three or so hour drive. So I pretty much saw the whole peninsula and um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's as far north as you can go. I think if you go further south in Norway, there's more modern cities, you know, chain restaurants, movie theaters, you know, big buildings. But up here, it's just cute little towns, family-owned stuff, mom-and-pop shops, and it was just yeah. very, very cool. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. Almost probably like going back in time for you, right? I mean, seeing what it would have been like a number of years ago before all that stuff came in and ruined uh, our ruined our country here it was in a way it really was you know like taking a trip back in time yeah. and, and uh in more ways than one there's there's so much history there as well yeah that's amazing i uh i it's good to have the opportunity to do that um you know and obviously fortunate that you can uh but uh we did miss you here and we're happy you're back safe and and uh definitely glad to have you back on the show um you know coming back to i mean you know we all knew this was coming, but yet, uh, you know, you were back, what, a week? And, you know, you got to tell everybody that uh, the thing we all love to do every year on Labor Day weekend isn't going to happen this year. Uh, I know that was a really, you know, I feel like it was sort of a Captain Obvious decision, but yet at the same time, I understand John and Eric wanting to hold out every hope, right? It, there's just that point where, you just realize that you've crossed the, the point of no return where even if you say, okay, it can happen now, you know, getting people to be able to travel and you've got, you know, quarantine rules from our, my state and whatever and Canada's closed and, you know, it just was such, an, it would have been such a, I feel like a risky proposition to even attempt it. And, you know, so in the end, um, and, and thankfully I haven't seen anybody blaming, you know, track management because there's really nothing they could do. You can't run the classic without fans. You just can't do it. No, uh, you can't. And, uh, you know, it was obviously 
a colossal disappointment. I wasn't yeah. even home a day, and oh, okay. uh, I I still didn't know. And I think there were so many rumors going around where people were yeah. saying, oh, it's already canceled, or somebody said it was moving to Lake Erie and all this other crazy stuff. The classic? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, I mean, what, whatever. Wow. Just, That's yeah. some good dope there. Yeah. They, they, brought, they must have imported that from Colorado. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you just skim over the stuff, and I got the call the Saturday afternoon that, uh, after I got home that it was, that it was done and, uh, worked on the press release and got some very sad quotes from John and Eric and got it out there. And, um, you know, it did feel yeah. inevitable and, um, to a degree, I felt like they should just say, okay, let's bag it. But that's not Johnny's fashion and never really has been. And he kind of, you know, fought really with the state until the he bitter did, end yeah. and waited to see if anything would change. And, uh, got great support from Mayor Barlow, the city of Oswego and the county. And unfortunately, the the state just didn't want to budge. And yeah. uh, I have my own personal feelings about that. And, you know, I'm not going to go there, but uh, just very disappointed for our fans and our teams. I'll do that for you later. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's my show. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's it is disappointing. It's disappointing for everybody. I mean, I, I'm glad they're keeping testing going. At least guys that want to get some laps can go out and, you know, and do that. And I think it's great, especially um, and I want to talk about testing. So I hope you got all your stats lined up in a row here because um, sure I want to want to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I've seen with with the um, the, the the fast Friday stuff or the testing, whatever, um, is that it has been great track time for a lot of the rookies. And it's very interesting because I mean we don't have any rookies in the super modified division I don't think but we we we've had several in the SBS and a couple in the 350 that have been really really impressive with you know very few laps on the track relatively speaking um let's talk about some of the the testing and have a little fun here and brighten the mood on this show um and uh so let's start with, I guess, uh, we'll pick the uh, 350 division. Why not? We'll start with the uh, 350 division. Yeah, I mean, the, the 350 division, I think it's, you know, really starting to, to come together uh, the way we all wanted it to. Um, you know, I, I still think a full field is one or two years away, but just uh, like you said, these these uh, rookies that have, that have come up, some that, you know, I didn't even know about a week ago, Nick Kenny. I was going to ask about him because I don't know anything about him. Give me, give us an idea of what, what he's, do you, do you know, what is his background? Uh, well, I guess he's been kind of a lifelong fan and he has gone to the races a lot and has spent some time racing snowmobiles up here, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, and he bought the Belfiore house car from two years ago, I think 2018. And, um, didn't even know his name five days ago and, uh, you know, kind of looked him up, friended him on Facebook and, you know, found out a few things and he showed up Friday and just, I mean, he did a really good job of nice and easy the first few sessions and just slowly got himself up to speed. And man, by the end of the night, he was running a great groove, very smooth and gets down to an 18 flat. So, I mean, right there, you're That's incredible. He was within three tenths, everybody else. So, I mean, he, he did fantastic. So he's had no other than the snowmobile stuff, which is obviously very different. Um, 
he's had no real racing experience in the past. He's somebody out of the grandstand, more or less. I uh, yeah, to my knowledge, that's that's what See, I understand. I love that. I love that. That's impressive. That's that's what you call living the dream, man. That when somebody yeah. can do that, and and that right there is what the Oswego Speedway and super modified racing in general are missing right now because it's so doggone expensive. And yeah. so the 350 class, it has made it possible to, you know, to, to come out now again. Um, I'm hoping that, that those involved understand that the mechanism is the, the, the cost. And so if you start letting people, make motors more expensive and add this expensive part and that expensive part and this other expensive part and you start making these things you're going it, to it's it's just going to die the way that the the big blocks are slowly uh slowly drip at a time they're going away i mean you just it's it's you've this is i love that nick kenny is like the the poster child for what the 350 superclass should be and people need to make sure it stays that way because I said when it was created, and I still believe that that is the future of supermodified racing ultimately. And I know I've just made a bunch of people really mad, and they're probably, you know, throwing things at, at their device right now. But uh, I, I just think it's true. I love, I love hearing that story. So he is he from up north, or where is he from? I think right here in Oswego. Oh wow! Okay. A local, very good. That's yeah. even better. Um, yeah. And is he an older gentleman, or, or you know, I mean, any idea what his age is? Um, I think looking at his Facebook, I saw a picture with the wife and two kids. Okay. Maybe so. Yeah, that's him. there again. Love it. See this again. It's kind of a throwback. I love that somebody older getting started, and I think that's great. Um, and, okay, so let's talk about. You've got kind of the times you did a great job of kind of meshing everything together and putting it out there. So run through the, the testing times in the three fifties and let's just sort of talk about, you know, as we go, the, the drivers involved. Yeah. Mike Bruce turned the fastest lap this year with a, with a 17, That's uh, really impressive. Yeah, no, he's, he's doing a good job. He's getting a good handle on that and has been going out to star and getting say, some good experience yeah, the extra against track the best time. of the best. Yeah. The extra track time him and Cameron Rowe uh, have been getting is 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 really going to pay off in the long run. I think for them. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, they're they're going to hit on it, and you know I know they're all planning to go out for the the Randy Whitcomb Memorial yep. on, on Classic Weekend at Star, and I know that Dalton Doyle is going to go too, and maybe good. John Tesserario. Very good, very good. Keep keep running down the times. Yeah, John was uh, second with a seventeen five sixty second fastest time this Sweet. year. He uh he took a liking to that 350 real quick. And Pat Strong did a great job rebuilding that car. Uh, it's one Jerry Curran almost went out of the ballpark with about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, see there again, an older car gets new life as a 350. I love it. Yeah, looks looks great. Ran great. Uh, nice to have John back. Dalton Doyle third fastest 17.715. Uh, Kyle Perry, a rookie, really really impressive 17.862 with the the Bellinger car, the last car that Eddie beat. Yeah. Out. Really happy to see that for Kyle, and and not surprised because he's had the experience 
he's had a mix of racing experience. I mean, I think he started in quarter midgets, if I'm not mistaken, and you know yep. from the background how that can translate, quick, quick, kind of quick maneuvers, reflexes, all that sort of thing, and then um, goes and gets on the dirt and learns some great car control skills in the sportsman class and now, you know, gets into um, gets into a car. Now, which which car is it that that Kyle Perry is driving that Bellinger had? Do we do we know? It's the one that uh, Jared had that awful wreck in. Oh, it is. So it's the yeah. actual Bellinger chassis. Yeah, that they had to cut the cage wow. and yeah. So it's uh and it looks good. I mean, Dennis Perry, Eddie Bellinger did a good job rebuilding that. I know that the Bellingers helped a lot. Uh, Brandon was there, kind of coaching Kyle and. Oh man, Kyle! Kyle did outstanding. I thought he took to it real quick and and just did a great job. That's great. Yeah, and see there again, I, that car never did quite work as well as a super as as a big block as I, I I know you know Brandon and Eddie would have wanted it to, uh, wished it would, uh, at least not at a swiggo, but you know again <laughs> turn it into a 350 um and uh it, it's got a, a complete second life here and maybe kyle perry can uh can pay it off with a win at some point down the road that's uh that's fantastic who else we got uh tom mccloud he came up quite a few times had a 17890 uh i believe he's looking for a different car he's not getting out say, selling that car. tom scared the crap out of me because all of a sudden one day i was on facebook and i saw for sale and i and it was that car and i'm like no you can't get out you just got in and I know. Uh, he said nope just looking for a different car okay good uh yeah. you know, <laughs> thank god um yeah. you know so because i really feel like you know this past year um, I didn't feel like they really ever got the car going to the you know extent that they obviously wanted to, and they I think they started kind of late in the year if I remember. And so again, this these opportunities uh, to just go test and and you know have plenty of time to play with setup and dial in, and um, I actually think that you know we're going to see a trend here. The ones who spend the time now to test and and really, especially as we talked about the newer of the drivers, it's going to benefit them opening day 2021 because their car will be ready to go and will be ready to go fast. So I think it will make the competition better, um, you know, right from the get-go next season because of all the time they're putting in. You don't, in other words, you can just test and test and test and test and you never worry about you know okay i got in a bad crash now i got to rebuild the car you know you, you've got all this time to just hone yeah. the setup right so um for these rookies they're going to come out of the box way faster and we're going to see um especially in these two divisions the sbs and the 350 we're going to see i think a, a phenomenal rookie of the year race uh you know, within the racing all year next year because of it, because they're all going to be, you know, lightning quick and, and they're all going to be dialed in already. And uh, so I think it'll just make the racing that much better. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked for, for 21. I hate that we have to say that and, and wait until then, but it is um, what it is. I mean, <laughs> seven SBS rookies will probably have more than that by then. You would and think. it's been at least over a decade that, we've had that many. So that's obviously great news. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I would think, yeah, it'd have to be fairly early on in the SBS division back when they were called limiteds, um, you know, that that, uh, we had that many rookies in the season. And like you said, wouldn't be surprised at all to see, you know, a couple of more uh, dive in before the winter's over and uh, 2021 starts. Okay, uh, who else we got on the list there that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, Vern Lefebvre, uh, 17882. Uh, Cameron Rowe, a 17986. And then Nick was the, the 8350 with 18092. So we had eight of them come out. That's pretty good. And basically all of them in the 17s, except for Nick, and he was, you're talking to Skosh. I mean, he'll yeah. he'll easily make it the next time he goes and runs, I would think. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's uh, that's a good, tight bunch of guys. And how how great is it? How thankful are we to God that Vern Lefebvre was able to strap back into a 350 and come back and, and take laps at the Oswego Speedway again? Yeah, that was uh, – it was just so cool to see the, the the first time he came back out in June, and then he's, you know, obviously taking advantage of the track time quite a few more times this year. And um, I think he's – relatively happy with the car he's had a couple of new car bugs is to be expected but um you know he got it right down he's right there in the mix with everybody already and man that would be something if he got a win next year and i oh my certainly gosh. think it's a good possibility i hope i'm there when he does uh but i i, I think honestly i think i'd hear the cheer all the way down here in charlotte uh it's just that's that would be one of the most uh, emotional moments, I would think, in Speedway history, because anybody who was there uh, to see his accident or who saw the the video of it, um, you have to uh, just be, you know, waiting with bated breath for that moment when you can scream as loud as you can uh, for that man when he comes to victory lane, because, I mean, that's just... Uh, that's incredible. So um, that's awesome. Okay, so yeah, the 350s, I mean, look, we you just rattled off eight cars, and all of them were decently fast. Now, um, I did not hear Barry Kingsley on that list. What is his status? Uh, I think he was waiting to get a motor rebuilt, okay. and I'm sure it's done now. Uh, right. He posted a picture of the car a few weeks ago. Okay, I can see Pretty that. much ready to go, so he'll be back. Okay. So there's nine that we know of, right? I mean, yeah. Um, so we're we're not we're three cars away from a dozen, and you know if we could somehow between now and the start of next season get to a dozen cars to start the year, from the basic what three to four that we had last year who were regulars, right? Um, to about a dozen, you know, and and then you bring in some of the New England guys that becomes a much different race now than what it was last year. No question. Yeah. I mean, I think we're looking at 10 to 11 to start with next year. And, um, you know, there's, I think eight races total. And I think, uh, the Swiggle and star are doing a nice job working together, planning around the, the yeah. bigger events. There's not too many conflicts. And I think we'll usually have a dozen or more of them every week. That's good. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Okay, let's um let's talk about SBS because I know we've got bunches of those. Um and uh we'll go through the list there. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of them. 15 cars have come out to practice that's including good. all seven rookies. Uh Josh Akolik, uh 18930, he was the fastest car, the only one in the 18 second bracket. Interesting, isn't it? That only one guy dropped down in the 18 second bracket for how fast these cars 
have been running over the last year or two. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, maybe a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot. It has to do with track conditions sure, and some of the other guys true. came out. But still, um, yeah, no, Josh is doing a great job. He has, I believe, four second-place finishes, and it's yeah. been really knocking on the door. So Man. he'll he'll get his this year, I yeah, think, he's got to be he's got to be about tired of being the bridesmaid. Uh you know, I mean, that's you're always happy when you finish up front. But, man, you just want to get that first win out of the way. And then, you know, a couple, three seconds won't feel so bad. But right now it's like, man, I just I got to get that one more spot. Dang it, I just have, you know. So second starts to become sort of a negative after a while. And hopefully he's not allowing that to happen in his head because you're right. I, I, I think his time is coming. You know, it's it's uh, it's not easy to learn to drive these things and, um, no, he's done a great job for as young as he is right from the start. And, uh, I think he carries himself very well also, which is, is a big deal in itself, um, to be so young and, and, you know, be in a class where let's face it, you know, it can be kind of rough and tumble at times. And, and he, you know, he's really been very patient and very, just kind of been quiet and, 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 uh, worked on his craft. And I agree with you. I think he gets a win in 21. Yep, yep, I think so. Uh, Dave Cliff, nineteen one six four second. Okay, that car's for sale. I um, saw that. Yeah, Another interesting uh, scenario. I haven't had a chance to reach out to uh, uh, Tim Barbeau yet, or Dave for that matter, to see. I mean, I, I I think I saw something where somebody, and it might even have been Tim. Now that I think on it, um, that that they were maybe trying to go to. A higher class uh but i don't know what do you what do you know about that anything yeah uh well first of all i hope somebody picks up that car because it's a, a damn good well, piece yeah. obviously but um no i think i think timmy wants to make the move up to the, the 350 division okay. with, with dave and i'm sure that he'll have no problem finding a car to do that and um it's i'm sure they're going to be successful given that they, they just they sold their car to Rich Worth, the group for I know you know, it's like <laughs> perfect three hundred and fifty car. Yeah, I know it's kind of uh, kind of funny, but uh, there's uh, I'm sure that I mean there's a lot of stuff out there, so it's, it it shouldn't be that hard to find a car. It's just a matter of finding the right car and the right price, and obviously they need to sell the uh, the, uh, the 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 SPS car in order to to make that happen. Uh, so yeah, hopefully somebody will snap that up because that's a obviously a track championship car and and a, and a feature winning car and. Um, so yeah, I was a little surprised by that, to be honest, but it would be great to see Dave up into the 350 class of there again, you know, you're one step closer to the dozen. Um, and that's, I, I, I do think that here again, you've now, it's so hard to go from SBS to a big block. There's such a difference in cost just to operate the car. I mean, and, and, you know, never mind buying the stuff. It's, it's just, you know, having even just the, the difference in what it takes to, to run, um, you know, for a night, if you're going to, especially if you're going to run to win, it's, it's so much higher that I think this 350 class, I said, I said from the start, this will be an easier jump from the SBS to the 350 class and then maybe you start getting a few of these guys um, once you've got the car and whatever. Now, if you want to, you know, adapt it to a big block, maybe it's not such a jump. I don't know. But at least we're getting some forward momentum going again 
Um, so that's good. Uh, that yeah. you know, I think that's uh, definitely a good deal. I hope that works out for Dave because I'd like to see him back in the super. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, who else? Uh, Greg O'Connor third with a nineteen one eight two. Griffin Miller fourth nineteen one eight five. He was fast. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, car is gorgeous too. Oh, it's beautiful. He's got a great, great future in that division. I I'm agree. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's what I definitely hope gets an opportunity to run um, either a 350 or a, a, a big block eventually. Because I think that kid's got a lot of talent. He does. Yep, he does. He's done a great job in the super stocks. Uh, obviously, the Miller family connection there is, is sure. huge with a swiggle. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's nice to see uh, another Miller kind of take the reins, so to no speak, and, and be back in the mix right away. No doubt. Okay, keep going. Uh, let's see. Fifth, Danny Kapazinski, 19-2-2-1 in the flat car. Yeah. I, Tony Pisa. I saw Oop, he, he went out real early this year. I think he was one of the first ones to test, wasn't he? Yeah, he. I think he was out the second week. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, I don't think he's been back out since either, has he? Nope, nope. Yeah. He, he did some Evans Mill stuff, and then he did a Swigo and was, I, I think, on old tires and got down to 19 and. Yeah. Uh, you know, Danny's a good driver. I feel like he's a guy that can just, you know, he's shown he can pretty much jump in anything and, oh, of course. and be competitive. Yeah. So we'll see if that deal next year is the same as what it was this year. I'm not real sure of all of the, um, you know, I don't know what all the, the reasons how that all came together. I know it was something to do with um, w- with scheduling and just, you know, flex schedule works with Danny or whatever, yeah. right? There was something in there like that, and so we'll see if that maintains itself for next year if Danny gets to still run some races in that car. But, um, you know, and I, and I love that color. I love the color on that car, too. It's a nice-looking yeah. car. Yeah, it's a beautiful yep. piece. Yep. And, I, and I think he'll run next year. I think Steve's going to run the majority again, and then the nights he misses, Danny dump, jumps in. I mean, cool. I don't know why he wouldn't at this yeah. point. He got in it and did a great job. Absolutely. So. Uh, let's see. Six was Tony Pisa with a nineteen two four seven. Okay. Seventh was Mike Bruce with a nineteen three one six. Eighth was Brian Sobis with a nineteen three two seven. And I yep. hope that's a deal that stays in place for next year. Yeah, I know. Uh, I talked to Andrew a couple of weeks ago, and you know, obviously, that, I mean, they would like to do it. Andrew came right out and told me, and I don't know if he said this publicly and I, but I don't know if I should say it, but I'll say it anyway. Cause, uh, um, you know, well, what can he do to me? Um, so he, he came right out and told me, he said, the reason that I wanted to do this with Brian is that I really was hoping that this would somehow help propel Brian back into a big block super. Um, that's he he really wants to see Brian back in which I think is is really classy on Andrew's part and I think it says a lot for the the respect that those two have for each other I mean I think Andrew's more um really more concerned to see Brian be be somehow able to get back in a super again than even himself necessarily doing it not that I'm sure he'd turn it down if it was offered but um you know, and so that was, I don't see any reason why the same thing wouldn't happen next year. And of course, the the irony of that particular situation, too, is had a Swigo been able to open in these last, you know, month, couple months or two, Andrew probably would not have been able to go up there because, know. you know, so Brian would have been in the car. Um 
you know, so that's kind of one of those situations where, you know, you, you sort of look at the sports teams and even NASCAR, you know, you almost have to have a, a, a driver on standby that can, you know, if somebody gets COVID or, you know, and so in this situation, it was almost like having, you know, that, that second driver ready to go in case, you know, and, and, uh, that would have probably been necessary because, you know, unless, uh, um, unless Andrew was, you know, going to do the smoke Johnson thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I mean, it's that, that from what I understand, um, you know, the, um, the, the, um, uh, New York Soviet Socialist Republic uh, guards there uh, have been pretty diligent about, uh, you know, checking um, on, you know, the airlines and all of that and, and making sure that, you know, you you uh, have to quarantine and whatever. Now, uh, you know, who knows what's true and what isn't, but that's what I've heard from a couple of different folks up there. So, you know, you, it's just one of those things. You, you just... Um, you know, so that would have been that would have been a little bit of irony there, but uh, at least Brian got to shake the car down and and kind of get the feel for it, and I'm sure they'll, uh, you know, they'll do whatever they think they need to do over the winter. It's just, um, you know, really happy to to see that team hanging on because Carl Shartner, a lot of people probably don't know Carl very well, but I will say I've known Carl for many years now, and Carl is one of the most genuinely nice people you will ever meet in your entire oh, yeah. life. And what Great that guy. man has sacrificed to, you know, for Andrew, and boy, can he build a car. And, you know, he can build anything. He's People probably don't know that listen to this show, but he built the last, I mean, I think the first, um, what's what's the, uh, now my brain's blank, that not dwarf cars, but. Um, what Mod Light. Yeah, Mod Light. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, the uh, the first Mod Light, I think they bought from somebody. um but then uh, Carl started building Mod Lights and build a bunch for not just Andrew, but other people as well. And they're winning. And so came to, you know, run Oswego and um, teamed up with Tom and the group. And, and they um, obviously had a car. And then eventually, uh, a couple, three years ago, Carl and Andrew kind of put their heads together and came up with a design. And Carl put it together. And, you know, he doesn't have... All of the, you know, the uh, high-tech stuff that, like, you know, Hawksby has or whoever, uh, he, you know, he just builds them the old-fashioned way. And uh, so that's that team is really, uh, you know, uh, 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 there's a, there's a, there, there are a number of stories within that, that whole organization there, that whole group. Um, and they're a fun bunch of people to be around, too. So I'm... You know, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, can happen from that next year. That car is still capable of going out and winning races for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, so. a couple of great guys. Andrew, uh, I, I think very highly of him. I'd love to see him in a Super. Yeah. And uh, Brian, man, oh, I, <laughs> I, I think he's honestly one of the best drivers in the history of that class to not have a, a win, really. So yeah, I, I do too, I, 100%. I hope they both get there. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, can, I can say I've known them both since the start of their career, and um, you know, they both shown the talent and they both shown the intelligence, you know, the, the, the craft, it's not, you know, they, they're very calculating racers and, and, uh, you know, have really, um, you know, that's when Brian jumped into the 60 car there, um, you know, a few years ago and ran supers, 
uh, there was no doubt that he, you know, he was capable of winning races, and, and he came close with his own car. But there again, it's just so doggone expensive to do this. And, you know, he just couldn't, uh, with you know, having the family and whatever, you just can't keep going without a good uh, sponsor. So, um, you know, again, that'll be a fun team to watch next year. Who else we got? Uh, Noah Ratcliffe, ninth, uh, another rookie that really stands out. The other night he got down to a 19.446. Did did Noah come from the carts or where did he come from? Yep, he's he's raced carts and That's what I uh, thought. it's okay. uh the former Dave Latulip twenty seven that yeah. he's driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he's those those kids are workers, the Ratcliffe kids. His older brother is helping him out with it and and uh Noah's wrenching on it a lot too and has really just done an outstanding job. Uh great, great family. They're their former super modified car owner, Jake Ratcliffe's sons, for those that don't know. Okay, and, I, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, great family. Uh, Terry, their mom's been involved for a while now, selling the parts truck uh, in the rear side of the pits at Oswego. Okay. So Jake's Automotive. Yep. And, uh, you know, they've been around a long time, and he's he's going to be right in the mix, and he, he already is. He's doing fantastic. Well, and that's, like I said, uh, this is going to really pay off in 21 because it's – Obviously, it's one skill to learn to go fast and be, you know, consistent and smooth by yourself. It's another skill to learn the pass timing and all of that that it takes um, to be able to race with other cars. But at least when these drivers like Noah get to uh, next season, they're at least over the typical sort of first half season of of what you what i heard somebody call the other day the yips of you know just sort of the 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 getting used to the car and getting consistent with the line and whatever they'll already know that so you know i think even for the veterans um looking at the rookies next year they're 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 not going to be so in the way and the erratic you're going to have a rookie class that's going to be very um competitive and and you know and and probably less risky to race around for the most part than um you know than you typically would in a division like that so that's nothing but good and and again the you know that family's been around a while and it's good to see uh another generation getting involved and i love seeing again the family-owned aspect of it and and big brothers wrenching and all of that kind of thing so it's great yep sure is sure is and uh you know like the kid that's 10th quick was another perfect example of that. And, and Robbie Bruce was just sure. gotten a little bit faster every time. Uh, ended up with a 19.619 a couple of weeks ago. And um, obviously he's going to learn a lot from his older brother, Mike, who's who's done this for a long time now. And uh, recipe for success there. Those guys are, are hard workers and, and Mike's a great driver. Robbie's done well, had a lot of success, a lot of wins in the go-karts. And um you know, it's it's just really impressive these these rookies. I don't think the the class has ever really seen anything like it. Uh, I I took a look actually way back in some scoring, and Griffin Miller far and away the fastest lap a rookie's ever turned in that class. And, wow! Um, all these guys really. I mean, I I think the fastest ones before that uh, was was Anthony and and myself actually uh, five years ago, and those guys have far and away surpassed both of us and. Uh, frankly, everybody else too, as far as rookie laps go. And, and, you know, like you said, it's not just about lap times and we'll see how they all do racing, but, uh, man, these kids have, have taken to it really, really well, well. And that's what I say. You gotta, you gotta do enough testing to be able to sort of master 
the track and master the car, um, you know, on your own. And then, you know, I see I've, I've worked with a lot of younger drivers over the, the, the last 30 years. And I and especially, you know, the last 15 or 20 that I've, you know, been in the South and, and, and in really especially here. And you see so many of them, they come in, and, and, and a lot of this is weight models, but you can apply it anywhere. They come in out of, you know, the quarter midget, the Legends car, the go-kart, whatever it is, Bandolero in some cases, Bandolero straight to a late model. Okay, and, and they they go out and they run one day of testing and then let's go racing. And you and you're running against, you know, fifteen to twenty or more other veterans who've been doing this for years and the kid the kid goes out in the test and, you know, runs two tenths off the pole time. Well then he gets into the race and you know he's trying to run those same speeds in the middle of traffic. You can't yeah. you can't do that. You can't. Oh, you know can't. you have no idea how. You know. You, and so it's there's. I see so much sort of unbridled. You know. And so what? All you can hope is that these guys. And I think Robbie Bruce will be um, will be an example of this because I think Robbie is. It's funny because I I don't feel like I know Robbie that well, but I kind of do just from watching his posts and whatever. And I think everybody, I think would think that he's probably going to be kind of a daredevil and whatever. And, you know, I don't, I just don't see that with him. I think in this case, he's going to listen to the people around him. And I really feel like he's, you know, he's going to develop very quickly into a competitive racer. And, um, you know, that, that, uh, that group, um, Mike, I you know I again I've watched Mike since he first showed up at Oswego too and and have known him that long, and he has grown up so much and and what what he's done and you know obviously you've been a part of this too you know with the the Evans Mills the out of town shows bringing back that that Nora brand that I first helped start with uh, a bunch of other very hardworking people back in the day I was thinking about that the other day and there were those guys were so committed to you know trying to to build something beyond the swiggo and give the class something nice to do three or four more times during the year um yeah. and and you know what Mike's done to work on that end of things um is you know and again the whole J- JNS paving you know Richworth that whole group um, you know, of, of, of people, um, the Glidens and, and everybody, um, just so dedicated to that division. And now even, you know, to the three fifties, uh, you know, so it's, it's just fun to, to have that sort of participation and to see, you know, Mike's little brother now come out. I, I mean, I think Robbo's going to do all right. I, I really do. I have very, uh, I have a lot of faith in him, and I and I think uh, he's got a lot of the good people around him to teach him right. So I think he's going to be fine. Oh yeah, I I think so too. And uh, you know, I was I was thinking a lot the other day about the rookie class we have, and I think um, you know sometimes fans or or other competitors that have maybe been doing it a while, you look and you you, you see a roster with seven rookies on it, and it's like, oh boy, you might think it's going to be oh this might be a wreck fest, or it might be this or that, and yep. I I don't think it's going to be no, like that either. with with any of these kids. I mean, if I'm in that division right now, I'm not at all worried about racing with those guys. They're all uh, very smart, good heads on their shoulders, mature. They they very smooth, hard workers, and um, you know I think it's going to be a really really exciting battle. Yep. And I I <laughs> I know Griffin 
has the fastest time right now and then got down to a one, but I, you know, I think it's going to be anybody's rookie of the year title. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you know, rookies are going to make mistakes. That's why I said, oh, yeah. yep. you know, when you race around other cars, that's the next level of your development as a driver. You perfect it on your own and then you learn how to, and just because you know how to pass in the, in the street stock or whatever else doesn't, it's different. You got to learn, you got to adjust your mental programming to, to the new thing and what it requires and how to, you know, how to do that and, and uh, the track and, and everything else. So I, I just think, um, you know, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but you know, how many veterans do you see that, you know, that cause wrecks? So that's not a, I, sure. I agree with you. I wouldn't be worried about that at all. Um, you know, these guys will, will adapt and, and, uh, man, by about mid season next year, um, that class is really going to be something to watch once they all kind of get some racing experience and, and, um, you know, get their feet under them in that sense, that class is really going to be something to watch. And I, I think it's going to start to look like it did in the, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s when, you know, the racing was on a number of nights, you know, better, as good or better than the big blocks. I agree. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah. Who else? Joey DeStevens, uh, he's tested once, uh, 11th fast with a 19.624, and that was his first time ever in a full-size race car. Now, um, again, so there, there where again, does he come one. from? Is he a carter? He's raced quarter midgets. Quarter for a while. midgets, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. There again, yep. and you know, good to see the infusion. This is, this is what you need, and and uh, you know, that's uh, the SBS class has been great for talent development over the years, and um, you know, we got an awful lot of it. Who else we got? Twelfth uh, was Mark Denny Jr. with a nineteen nine eight eight, and he's he's been out a lot. I think more than anybody, and has has taken some really valuable track time as well. And yeah, uh, he's had no racing experience. I don't think in twenty years he raced a street stock at Fulton years and years ago. Which okay. is obviously totally different. Yeah, well, especially um, that long ago. You know. Yeah. You're driving a car at that point with the stock front end, and you know, I mean, the feel is just completely different, right? So, um, you know, it's it's it it's, it seems like he's really taking his time, just basically trying to get up to speed. That car is another really sharp looking car, too. Yeah, it's it's a great looking car, and um, you know, the other thing about some of these guys, Joey has got help with the Lacerdo family. It's a former Lacerdo car. Oh, okay. Um, Mark Mark Denny, you know, so many guys have pitched in. That's a former Scott Schaefer car. And you have people that have been around the class on the Speedway a long time helping these newcomers, and, and that's what we need. Like Nick Kenny the other day, Dalton Doyle and Mike Bruce were in the pits wrenching on his car. I mean, that's that's just that's that's great, great to see. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah, see, and that's what, that's what I've always loved about a Swiggo, and you don't see that at a lot of other racetracks. Um, you know, the... I've always talked about Oswego as being a giant family, and racing as a whole is in a lot of ways. But, you know, I keep coming back to I've never seen anything since I've ventured outside and away from Oswego. I've never seen anything like um, like Oswego in, in that sense. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of paying it forward, and that's that's what needs to happen, especially in those lower classes, even in the big blocks. um I'm sure there's still some of that, although I think it's it's in, in in some ways it's kind of waned over the years, and everybody seems more concerned with their own. But um, but in the in the in the in the SPS and the 350, I think you really really need that because 
um, you know, you got to bring the younger guys up, and it's it's especially for some of the guys that you know that are racing against them. You know, it's to their advantage to have the car working better, right? Because it's not so apt to spin in front of you or whatever. You know, so you want to, you kind of want to get those guys going and, um, you know, help them to at least, um, you know, be able to run a consistent groove and and uh, make sure that the car is handling the way that it ought to be. So that's great. Um, anybody we missed? A few more. Thirteenth car was uh, Ken Moody, twenty point two fifty one. Yeah, Ken. Um, I I might have thought Ken might have been faster than that, but uh, I'm not sure. Again, I don't know all the particulars of, you know. I think he only did he only practiced once too. I think didn't he? Just just recently too. I think. Uh, he's done a couple. The Has first he done one a couple? Okay. Mechanical issues, oh, and okay. then um, you know came back again, and uh, he said he was trying a full fuel load for the classic and um you oh. know they, they've struggled with the car they've had a lot of bad luck lost an engine last year or able to get yeah. one replaced just in time for classic and um you know i hope i hope they get a, a good handle on it here for for next season he's a great guy with a huge yes. passion and beautiful race car yes uh just super nice people and uh and and you know that's uh that car is gorgeous too i, I love the hevron yellow uh and and you know always when back when Doug moved on and, and then of course, you know, come back and drove some other cars, obviously they weren't painted that way. And, uh, so, so good to see that Heveron yellow brought back because I just thought I can still remember the very first time I laid eyes on the old champagne wedge painted in that livery. And it was like, wow. Um, you know, it stood out so much on the track and, you know, every car that the Haverons had, was that way and it's even the modified i mean you know looking at that car in a full field of modifieds i mean it was just gorgeous so really happy that uh ken decided to uh go that route and that he's he's kind of maintained that into uh the second year yep yep and you know i think that uh anybody with a passion like that you keep trying he's he's got a lot of people helping him out uh yeah. again uh very experienced people around the speedway and you know, keep, keep trying, trying, getting more track time and, and he's going to get there. I'm yeah, sure he'll get there. Uh, as well. Yep. Um, the last couple of cars didn't really get up to speed. Uh, the, the seventh rookie that came out was, uh, Matt Germain. Okay. Um, and that's, uh, I believe it's Roger and Ralph Clark's nephew. Yeah. I think you um, told me that before. Yep. Yeah. And they've, you know, been obviously around a long time. He's helped crew for Timmy Snyder and, uh, he had a clutch problem, I think, with the car and didn't get too much track time in, but he's never driven anything. He was uh, in the 21-second range, which really isn't horrible at all uh, for just, you know, five, six laps, and then he pulled it in. So, um, you know, we'll see how he does. Uh, hopefully they get that straightened out and come back next year and uh, continue to get some track time. For sure, yeah. Um, and, again, a good field in both divisions. Um and some real encouraging signs that, you know, we should easily be in the 20s for the SBS division next year. Um, and, again, if we could get to a dozen uh, of our own cars in the 350s, and I think that's achievable or we'll get close. And like you said, um, you know, bring in a few of the, the, the out-of-town cars and you got – you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 a week, whatever. Um, I mean, we saw in the 350 Classic that, you know, the guys, when you when you put 
you know, he put a good number of them on the track. It's an impressive show. I mean, obviously that day, I think there were two real hot dogs, um, you know, but the rest were all fairly competitive. And I think, you know, the more experience our guys get and the more they go there and, you know, that's why I think, you know, when you're, if you're Mike Bruce, or you're Cameron Rowe, or, or, or you know, whomever, it, it, it may be, um, you're going out there to star, and, you know, you're going to race with the guys that have been doing it a while. You pick up things in terms of setups and what those cars are capable of. That's really wise. Uh, it Obviously, it costs money to travel and, and do those sorts of things, but um, it's a great recon mission to really learn about how to make one of those things fast and and to close the gap between our local cars and the cars that come in out of town so that when you know when they do come in going forward you know they're 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 not going to have such a huge experience advantage over the rest of uh, uh over our guys yeah no i i agree uh this is it's kind of been the you know the season that never was but it's been the the year of the rookies in a way i you know they've they've used up this entire time to, to get this track time. And yeah. um, I, you know what, they wouldn't even really have that many opportunities to do it during a regular season. We've done so much testing. So uh, in a way it's worked out nicely for yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know what? I forgot one um, and I, you didn't run uh, up to speed and that's why I didn't have them. So I've lost count. Matt actually would have been the sixth rookie. Okay. Derek Hilton is the seventh. Okay. Tell us so about he, him. What, you know, uh, he has the former Josh Kerr car, not the more oh, recent one, okay. but the first car Kerr yeah. came out with the Hedger. Yep. And uh, he's kind of banded together with, with Ken Moody. I think uh, at one point they were keeping their cars at the same place. I think at Steve Wood's shop over the winter. So oh. uh, they're all kind of working together. And uh, Derek had a clutch problem too with his car. So he never really uh, got up to speed, but uh, the car looked good. I mean, it looks well-maintained, uh, very, very clean, new graphics scheme on it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does. But, yeah, that was our, our seventh and, and final rookie of the seven that, that came out for practice this year. Well, um, you know, there again, like I said, uh, a lot of encouragement in both of those divisions uh, and looking forward to seeing what they can do in 21. Um, and that uh, obviously leaves the fastest class for last. Uh, and we, we, we talk about the big blocks, and, and I think the – I want to kind of, um, we'll go in order, but but I want to start by not going in order because I really want to focus on the new Eric Iosu car that um, John Coloca has built because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, at least a lot of us knew that that was imminent. We weren't sure necessarily who was going to drive it. Interesting to see that Eric's getting the call for that, and I'm happy for him. Um, what do you know about kind of how that all got put together and, and, and what do you know so far about, um, the car and the performance and all of that? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm pretty close with, with Johnny, as you know, he's been really instrumental in what I've been able to do with, with the super. And, uh, he's just a couple blocks away from my shop. So I go down there and, and check in often. And, uh, really what I think it is, is, John is, you know, crewed for so many different teams, and um, he's rebuilt a couple cars. He actually built a copy of the of Eric's booth car. Okay. Um, 
and that's the car that Tom Salvador won in the auction and yeah. and so on. <laughs> and he built a Danny Connors car way back that just didn't pan out too well. Danny had a couple nasty wrecks with it and uh, obviously built Didero's car for, for 2018 when Doug came back. Yeah. And, um, we've seen how well that has worked, and I think it's a combination of Doug and, and John's ideas, obviously. But, um, you know, John's been around a long time, and I think he just wants to, to own his own car and wanted to to build another car and, and he, you know, be the proud owner of it. And it's something he's always wanted to do. And um, it's, I think kind of derived off the three a little bit. There's a, a couple different things they've, they've done with it. Um, I don't necessarily want to give it away, right. no. um, but um, you know, it's obviously a beautiful piece. Uh, he wasn't sure who was going to drive it really. Um, didn't have a driver. I was joking with him that he was going to put me in it for a while. And, Oh, that would have been fun. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's there's been all kind of rumors, and uh, eventually he you know came out and, and said that Eric would be driving it, and you know I think that has um, a lot to do with uh, the success that Eric's had the last couple of years, and uh, with, with his father as well. Dave, I think, is one of the best uh, <laughs> crewmen yeah, setup guys on on the supers, and you know ever in in quite some time, and. Uh, you know, I think that's something that was important to John. He has a commitment to Doug, and, and you know, it's a lot to, to maintain two race cars, and uh, Dave can help with that. And uh, I think it's gone okay so far. They're they're a little frustrated uh, with the handling. Um, Eric mentioned switching a couple things around. Uh, to me, the other day, we were talking, and, uh, you know, he got down to 17-1. It's not bad out of the box, but uh, definitely I know not where John wants to be with it. And, uh, they'll they'll figure it out. They'll they'll definitely figure it out. I mean, look at look at Doug's car and uh, oh for sure. You know they'll they'll get there. Uh, Eric's really kind of come into his own. He's consistently one of the fastest cars every week and hasn't had a lot of luck. He gets caught up in a lot of wrecks and uh you know not necessarily at all to any fault of his own. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how he does with it and and also what happens with the booth car because I think that's a an outstanding piece. So I'll be interested to learn the fate of that car. Yeah, um, well, you would think uh, maybe at least uh, in the beginning you you kind of hang on to it as a backup if you if you need it or maybe go run some Isma shows or something with it. But um, I, I I chuckled when you said 17 one out of the box, um, you know, and and we're saying how frustrated they were because only because i'm old enough to remember a day when if you brought a car out when 17 went out of the box you would have gone out and probably celebrated uh, for the entire night afterward uh you know that would have been considered an amazing accomplishment and now you know it's a second off the base basically it's just, uh, you know every once in a while i get those flashbacks it's like wow you know we're still a second off the pace at 17 one but um but yeah i'm sure they'll figure it out and and i'm sure doug will will help them if if you know whatever and um you know again a great bunch of people and and uh, we're gonna get eric i i need to get eric on one of these shows and i it's like i have this long list of people and again you keep trying to you know okay oh i got a hold of this guy this week okay let's go with him you know sometimes it's just a matter of scheduling and i i this is a great time to have eric on because he's been out a couple times with him we'll get his perspective so maybe we'll try to do that for uh, next yeah. week, episode 58. 
So. Yeah, and I think he's going to star too, and and possibly with the new car. So that would be, yeah, it's a good be good timing. Good timing, yeah, because uh, now that now that there is no classic, uh, we're we're gonna um, continue our classic themes here, and and uh, um, we'll we'll do that again on this show here in a little while with uh, 1980. So uh, okay, who else we got? Uh, the fastest lap was uh, Dave Schulich Jr. with a 16.266. Turned that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Joe Goza came out once with both cars. Fastest was the hot car at a 16.305. Uh, third fastest, Danny Connors Jr., 16.468, taking a liking to the former Nakota number new six. Piece for good. him. Yeah, good for him. Yep. Uh, Otto, fourth with a 16.472. He was out way early and uh, had some problems with the car, but uh, got it situated, and I, I believe that was on old tires. So. Yeah. Um, Eric Fifth with a 16.609. That's in the booth car yep. in the silver 11. Uh, Jeff Abel Six, another guy that was out way early with a 16.798. Allison Slode was seventh with a 17.134. She actually had something break in the car and, and backed it into the wall oh. in that test session. Okay. Um, I don't know what it was at this point. It just it was weird. I, I watched it happen and it just came right around on her and. Uh, nothing too bad, uh, damage wise, but she was obviously, you know, pretty frustrated and disappointed with that. Um, who else? Eric was eighth with the, the new car with a 17143. He's had that out twice now. That was the other night, uh, the, the better of the two. Uh, I was ninth with a 17370. Okay. Ugh, that's just wonderful. Well, (laughs) it was, it was on classic tires. I was going to say, old tires, you know, track's not running. It's a test. You know, it's not, um, I mean, you think about it, if you put a new set of tires on, you would have gained at least a few tenths. um, But, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of guys had new tires on. So it was all right. I was just happy to do it one time. Exactly. Um, Yeah, Brandon Bellinger, 10th, 17-7, and that's, you know, no indication of where he's at. That was way early in the year, too. Uh, Jerry Kern, 11th in the Nearbin car with a 17.725, and Jack Patrick was the 12th car uh, with a 18.218, and he never really got up to speed. He was having a problem with the throttle sticking. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think a couple guys really got up to speed and, and showed where they were at, and then I think kind of the bottom half, you know, had some problems, older tires, early test sessions, and never yeah. really showed what they had. Uh, but we did have 12 cars practice, and, you know, Schulich, Gozik, Connors, Otto, Ioso, they all showed great speed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, again, um, you know, I think uh, those most of the, the, the super modified guys, I mean, there were a couple like uh, the new car, obviously, for Eric, and the in the Nearbing car, even with Jerry, that, um, you know, you would you would probably want some more time to dial them in. But most of those guys are already fast. They already know what they're doing. It's just... Um, you know, trying to get some track time. Um, so they'll be yeah. all right when next year rolls around. But uh, good stuff. Okay, so um, I guess I will uh, I will end with the uh, this part of uh, end your part of uh, the show with with the obvious uh, question that I'm supposed to ask because everybody wants to know um, <laughs> what are the chances that we see Super Dirt Week because there's been so much. I feel like there's been a lot of misinformation out there, like. People saying that well, it's already been rescheduled. It's it's running somewhere else. It's it's. I mean, is there is there still um, discussion going on about Super Dirt Week at Oswego? Is there 
any conversation about that still happening? Yes, uh, there is. There's, okay. there's been a few meetings uh, at the track with the county health department, and obviously Superdirt Week is in talk with the state. Um, but what everybody should understand, like the people that want to go on Facebook and, and make it about Oswego Speedway and, and what a slap in the face it is to the weekly competitors, is that they're under contract with Dirt Car right. in New York State. Exactly. And that has nothing to do with John and Eric. And I'll tell you, the only way Super Dirt Week is going to run is if they allow fans. And um, at this point, it's kind of like the, so you're saying there's a chance kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. I don't think if you're asking me, I don't know that. I don't want to come on here and sound negative. I know that Dirt Car is still really trying to, to make right. it happen. Their right. focus is on Oswego. But, you know, I, I get it. It would really kind of frost my ass in a way if, if Dirt Week happened. Obviously, I want it to. And the classic didn't, and I see where people are coming from, but um, I just hope that everybody understands that if an executive order expires and they don't renew it or they allow fans to some capacity, what is Super Dirt Week supposed to do? I mean, what what do people want John and Eric Tracy to do about that? So I just hope that they aren't going to blame them on the off chance that it does happen. Well, That's all. some people, and I, and I look, I, I want to try to be gentle about this, but there are a lot of people who just don't have a clue how business right. works. That's just a fact. Okay, they they love supers, so they, well, we shouldn't be running dirt if we can run the Classic in October. That's not... Okay, folks, <laughs> as you said, yeah. there are contracts for this, and it is... The Oswego Speedway is not a hobby. It's a business. And you sign these contracts, and I think there is a multi-year contract still in in effect for super yep. week i believe and yep. and so you 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 have a ton of uh you know b- businesses that support that you have teams you have super dirt the the, the organization it's, i mean like you can't just say sorry guys we're prioritizing the supers we're going to run classic so you go take your show somewhere else that's right. that's not it's it's it, it not only is that would that not be wise but it's not it's just not possible it's not feasible and and look whether people like it or not super dirt week makes a ton of money they get way more cars they get way more people they get way more um you know cash infused into that than 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 they do at the classic it's just yep. that simple it would be foolhardy even if it were possible it would be absolutely foolhardy for John and Eric to, to, to do something like that because now you have lost Super Dirt Week in the future because they're not coming back, you know. No. I mean, so it's, it's that it, people have to understand that this stuff is business and you have to run a business and cash flow the business the way that, you know, the way that you need to. And you can't, if you get a contract, Super Dirt Week is basically a client. You can't just tell that client to get lost. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, but I just wanted to to clarify whether or not there was still a chance or still discussion going on because I've I've come across some conversation in the last week or so that's because that, at first I thought, well, they're doing, they got something going at Port Royal or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> a, 
well, okay, so maybe they moved it, which obviously, you know, I think they're going to have to anyway if they're going to do it. Well, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure what what was true truth versus fiction. So technically, whatever's going on outside at Port Royal or whatever is not Super Dirt Week, um, at least not at the moment. Uh, you know, and um, you know, and and so I would assume that we'll probably have an answer pretty quickly as to because again, you 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 wind up you're going into september this week and super dirt week is you know in october you gotta you gotta stay in that 30-day window to give people a chance to plan and and you know prepare and all of that it's it so you know i i mean again you know we i don't want to you know i'm just my opinion is i agree with you i don't see how it happens um but if if somehow some way um you know the uh the KGB in Albany decide to um you know lighten up and uh you know then yeah i i would be happy for super dirt week to go off for two reasons one dog on it new york state needs some racing two the Teresis need some money they need to make yeah. some money um you know and so and and the drivers and the teams that have spent all the cash to to, to get their cars ready i mean you know Look, we would just all have to understand that the timing just didn't work out for the super modified season this year. Everybody's going to, you know, the cars are safe in the garages. And, and you know, hopefully uh, if we all, you know, do the right thing, we can, you know, we can get get rid of this sort of environment that we have of, of um, you know, of, of governmental control and overreach uh, and, and, and we can put uh, you know, put the racing season back on for 2021 the way it ought to be. Um, and I think that uh, I, I have great faith that that can happen. So um, I'd be happy for Super Dirt Week, to be honest, uh, to if, if it could somehow be miraculously run. And I think the rest of the Super Modified fraternity just needs to realize that that's just part of, um, you know, part of running the business. And you know, um, and, and we'll just be excited about next year. And I hope they would all go support it, too, because, like I said, um, we need to keep the racetrack going. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, uh, what do we know, since you're kind of working with the ISMA group, too, what do we know about the Star Classic while I have you on the show? Uh, Star is, uh, all systems are go. They're selling tickets. Uh, it is 50% capacity. you got to wear masks when you're there, yep. which... I mean, whatever. I, yeah. It doesn't really matter. You still get to see supers. Yeah. Um, I think they'll have 20 to 22 cars, which is not bad with, with the way things are right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm just happy that Bobby Weber and, you know, Howie and everybody has figured out a way to, to run this race uh, in, in these times. And uh, we at least get two out of three of the Triple Crown in 2020. Well, and I'm hoping that uh, it'll. I'm hoping to see more than 20 or 22 cars. Honestly, I w- I would like to see 24 to 26, 28 cars. I mean, there's no, to, to, quite honestly, there should be no reason why anybody can't go run this race. There's no other racing that's going to go on this year for the supers. And um, I understand in certain situations where you might have to go back and quarantine or whatever. Then that's that's just what it is. And, and maybe the yeah. can't. But you know, I'd like to see. Everybody with a car that's available to run who can possibly go run, I'd like to see them go support it and at least end on one big classic-like, you know, uh, show for, for uh, you know, for 2020 because, um, 
you know, I think the future of the big block division really, um, it's it's interesting, to say the least. Um, you know, I think, uh, I understand this was a very strange year, a very weird year. I understand that, you know, there were there's a handful of cars or so over in Canada that couldn't race even if they wanted to. Um, and those guys are some of the most loyal in terms of supporting the division of anybody. Um, so I get that, and I, I get that, um, you know, Governments made it impossible for for certain people to travel and go do certain things that they would want to do if they could. But even looking at all of that, just listening to what people are saying in terms of, you know, I I still think the only way the big block division has a stable long-term future is if everybody works together. And I'm just not hearing that. I'm not seeing it. I'm, 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 a little frustrated, to be honest. Um, you know, the races that were offered, um, you know, in in some cases were not supported just because somebody doesn't like somebody. Um, and I just, there's no excuse and no, um, no reason for that crap at this point in a division where we've got maybe 50 um, to 60 cars that, that are, you know, out there that, that, that show up at a racetrack total in the entire country in a given year. Um, you know, people have just got to put egos aside. Um, I won't ask you to respond to that because I uh, don't want to get you in trouble, but that's my two cents <laughs> on <you>. that. <laughs> and, and Camden, I appreciate you coming back on, obviously, and uh, you keep us posted, obviously, on what's going on and uh, look forward to, to talking to you again here uh on the next one on episode 58. All right, Tom. Sounds good. Uh, it's good to be home. Good to be back on the show and uh, looking forward to, to doing that, talking about Star and uh, Absolutely. You know, everything else coming up the next few weeks. Can't wait to talk about the Star Classic for sure uh, and uh, look forward to seeing what happens with that. So uh, have a, a great week, Cam, and we'll talk to you next week. That is Camden Proud, and we are going to take a break. And when we come back, Inside Groove continues. We're going to talk 1980, and uh, I'll kind of give you a clue of uh, what's been going on with me, which is why we've been a little bit uh, less timely with some of these shows. Uh, Something cool going on down here with the Modifieds I'll tell you about uh, right around the turn. We'll be back with more of the Groove right after this. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. 
Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with episode 57. And I want to turn our attention right now to a little bit of classic rewind, or as I prefer to call it, classic fever, because, okay, we know by now that uh, Swiggo Speedway has canceled the International Classic. Um, I want to take us back to 1980. We, we started this last week with uh, 1975. We, we went 45 years back. This week we're going 40 to 1980 i mean i I, obviously we're not going to get through all of the five-year increments prior to labor day weekend which is you know what i was i thought about this before i finished up last week's show i said you know what the flaw in my thinking here is that (laughs) i started this i we'd have to do about seven or eight shows or whatever to get to get all the way up there um so you'll have to forgive me but i have a plan um, that I'm trying to put into action for next weekend. So be prepared because there may be two shows next weekend. One of them, I'm trying to make a live show on Facebook. So tell your friends if they don't have Facebook, then they need to get it <laughs> or, you know, or just come to your house and uh, uh, check it out on your Facebook. But uh, yeah, we're looking at doing a Facebook Live next weekend. I'm trying to just, the way everything is happening so quickly down here, and again, I'll get to that in a minute too, um, my schedule is so fluid here that I'm just trying to uh, uh, kind of get it straightened back out. And uh, But I do want to do a, a Facebook Live next weekend, and I'd really like to do it on Sunday. So uh, we, we will either do it on Saturday or on Sunday, but I, I'd like to really do it on Sunday. Um to really kind of celebrate the classic and talk about the classic, um, talk about classic period. It uh, doesn't matter. Uh, just have some conversation. You know, I want to get a bunch of people online and just kind of sit around like we did the first time and just have some conversation about classic. Um, and uh, so I'm looking to put that together for next weekend. And if we do that, we're going to have two shows. We're going to have a regular Inside Groove show and a live show. And that's how it's going to work. So 1980 was a very transitional year because, of course, if you think back one year previous, 1979, and I, it's funny because when I look at the 79 um, end of season program, it talks about how they said 1979 will be the year nobody will remember. Well, that was before the classic. Um, (laughs) And I think everybody remembers the 1979 classic. Warren Conium did something that nobody thought would be done. I mean, Nolan Swift lost two laps, made them up one several years earlier, but you just don't expect somebody to, to get a lap down and win. Well, of course, we all know Warren Conium jumped in the rear engine six ball and went out there and um, just it was it was quite a quite a drive to watch. And that resulted in the rear engine cars getting banned. So we started 1980 with no rear engine cars. So that's why I say this was really a transitional year because rear engines were banned and you had a dozen or so brand new cars built 
uh, and a lot of things were different. Jimmy Champagne was not there on a weekly basis. You had uh, a lot of the, the veterans still returning. Steve Joya was there. Eddie Bellinger was there. Warren Conian was there. There were a number of, of the the veterans that uh, you know were returning that year. Denny Wheeler still racing. Jimmy Winks in a brand-new Doug Duncan 07. Uh, you had any number of, of guys that you were used to seeing. Uh, Bobby Stelter was back in a brand-new 04 uh, for Solvay Automotive. So lots of veterans. And then you had... Doug Hevron, who continued his maturation process, picked up his first two wins in feature competition in 1980. And so it was it was really a year of almost as if you were kind of just refreshing the field, so to speak, just putting some fresh fresh faces in different places. Uh, Conian was driving for Clyde Booth that year and had the best season of his life, won, I think, nine features. In 1980, certainly a bunch. Um, and, you know, he was successful with the wing and without, in fact, that year for, for Clyde and Phil Miller. And that was really sort of the the team of the year, so to speak, won the track championship. And I think it was a year that sort of felt like it, it was, at least for me, I mean, I was a Champagne fan, and there was plenty of fantastic racing that year, but it sort of felt like it was a transition, as if somehow the the there was still sort of something that was slightly out of whack or just hadn't fallen into place yet in some ways. Um, again, at least for me, like it was one of those seasons where, uh, you know, I think you, you, you enjoyed what you saw, but you, you just... And and I think when it, it almost felt like a bridge year in a way, like you were crossing a bridge to go somewhere. And I think 1981 forward really kind of became that. I, I think it sort of completed the transition in 81, but 1980 was a, it was a great year. Um, and when we look at what, was going on coming into Classic Weekend, Jimmy Champagne wasn't out of supermodified racing, of course. He had just quit racing on a regular basis to go start running sprint cars, and I think he just really wanted to do something a little different. Jimmy had, I think a lot of people forget that Jimmy, for much of the 70s, was running on dirt and asphalt and was running about three nights a week plus because there were a lot of midweek modified shows and such. And so Jimmy was very active in the early to mid-70s and even through the remainder of the 70s, he he built two brand new Supers between 1976 and 1979. He uh, also uh, continued to compete in the modified class with Ed Close, and again, you know, running all over, a lot of the big shows, not necessarily weekly competition by that point, but nonetheless, he still ran a lot of races. So I think Jimmy just wanted something different in 1980, and um, I think wanted to scale back a little bit, and I think he really wanted to just have a different challenge and went sprint car racing, and the interesting thing was that during that season, when he went sprint car racing, he didn't just 
go run with a local sprint car division. He went to Pennsylvania and start, started running against the posse. I mean, you go to Williams Grove and try to compete, and you, you know, you do any halfway well. You know, if you can finish in the top five at Williams Grove, you've done something good. And Jimmy made an impression down there, but, of course, his first win was, I think, at Rowing Wheels um, up here, or up there in New York, since I'm sitting in North Carolina. I think, uh, I think Rowing Wheels was his first win, uh, if I remember correctly. It was either Rowing Wheels or Weedsport, but I think it was at Rowing Wheels. And he was just so excited, from what I understand about that win. It was It meant so much to him to have gone and... and you know, I don't want to say conquered that world, but gone and, and achieved a victory in, in a division in which he really wasn't known for, you know, for racing. And uh, and so he was having a great time. Came back to Oswego with a super uh, for uh, a race in August, 75 lapper, I think, um, and ended up doing, he got into the wall and ended up doing kind of a little tip over. I don't want to call it a flip per se, but um, just a little tip over. And, you know, obviously that didn't go the way he wanted it to. So he didn't come back again until Classic. So I don't think anybody really knew exactly what to expect for the Classic, except that everyone knew he still had a car capable of winning it. I mean, after all, it, you know, it had run up front in every Classic it had run in. And, you know, he finished uh, behind Chuck Siprich a couple times. And, and so I think everyone really felt like this was an opportunity for Jimmy, you know, to, to come out and do well. But I don't think anybody was really focused on him. I think the focus was on Warren Conium and Eddie Bellinger and Steve Joya. Um, you know, Jimmy Winks had a fast car, and I remember that year that uh, at least in the first half or so of the year, maybe most of the entire season, he was undefeated in preliminaries. That car won everything but a feature. And I just felt so bad for him uh, and and for Doug Duncan. That car was a gorgeous car and, you know, just didn't didn't have the luck that it needed. So coming into Classic Weekend, you'd had kind of the shift – in the super modified ranks um, in terms of cars. And so when it came to time trials, we still had a bunch of cars. But, um, you know, again, some of the names, I'm going to just kind of summarize the time trials here. I mean, you you know, Eddie Bellinger started on the pole, and Jimmy qualified outside pole. Both of them ran 17-6 laps. You had... um, some of the, the, the cars that you had in 1980, we had a little variety in the classic field. Jim Mayfield out of Ohio was there. Bobby Seelman was still racing uh, out of Michigan in the 74. You had Dave Morton. Now, that's an interesting story, too. Dave Morton was behind the wheel of the Hermgraf C15 that Jim Muldoon had raced throughout the year. Jim started the year in it, helped uh, Graf finish building it. And then uh, Classic Weekend had a tire explode in his garage. And I guess, uh, gosh, I don't remember all the details, but he was, he was hurt and he was unable to race. 
So at first, he put Kempton Dates in the car, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, but uh, Kemp didn't, he, he got out of the ride, and so I guess uh, somehow or other, Dave Morton ended up in the car. So that was kind of an interesting footnote. I, I would have thought that Muldoon would have had a really good shot at uh, a top 10 finish in that race with that car, but um, it wasn't to be for him. Uh, Barry Can still running. Howie Brown was uh, was there that year. Dave Hosey out of Canada was there. Skip Smith, another Massachusetts car, was there. Uh, Tom Gush, one of my favorite modified racers. Tom was from down uh, in the Shemung area and came up to drive the Ernie and Bob June 59 Super Modified, and he had a really good run that weekend. He didn't qualify through time trials, but, boy, did he make make the race uh, work for him. Uh, you still had Don Haas in the 29. Um, Brad Thrall in the Skip Batsick car. Donnie Joya was a rookie that year in, in the uh, 99, as was Joe Gozik in the double zero. Uh, Paige Reynolds was at the track in the number 23. Uh, who else did we have? We had uh, Lou Palker in the 93, another interesting name, and Ronnie Wallace um, still running in the 76 car. And that was, man, gosh, I I don't know if anybody had worse luck in the Classic than Ronnie Wallace, uh, but he did time in 18th. In 1980, it was uh, one of the show car cars that Ronnie had, I believe, that year. And so when it came to the Classic, I mean, Jimmy took the lead on the start. And look, we all know what happened. He didn't. He never gave it up. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible run. And the more I think back on it and kind of replay that race in my mind, the more it really was just amazing the way that Jimmy masterfully just managed the car. Um, I never got the impression that Jimmy was, you know, hurting the tires, hurting the car. He he maintained a decent uh, cushion over the rest of the field, but, I mean, it wasn't as if he, you know, was running at uh, breakneck pace by any means. He... Uh, he just stayed out front. Eddie Bellinger dropped out early. Uh, Warren Conium dropped out early. I think uh, maybe a rear end problem or something for Conium. Um, and, uh, yeah, rear axle issue for him. Uh, of course, Eddie dropped out fairly early as well. Um, you know, just uh, it, it just lined up. For for Jimmy, uh, it came down to a battle between Jimmy and Haveron and Joya. Haveron in 1980, and when you think about this, talk about your transition or transitory events. Jimmy's Jimmy's protege, Doug Haveron, finished second to him in the 1980 Classic, and we all know what happened the next couple of years for Haveron. Um, so that was really kind of a weird sign, and, and Steve Joya also... Um, finishing a nice third place that year. Didn't have the best year of his career by any means in 1980, but he got a nice classic finish out of it. Uh, Denny Wheeler finished fourth. Eddie Thompson fifth in the 91. Dave Thomas in the flying five finished sixth. And and boy, uh, again, there's another uh, Ed Bolley until I I feel like uh, obviously Bentley turned that 
whole deal around in 1984, I, I say I say turned it around. Bentley, when when he took over and they bought the Havron car, uh, the team that turned everything around for them, and and obviously they won about everything there was to win in 1984. But the classic, such a frustrating exercise, I feel like for the Flying Five most times because it was always fast and. It would always just have bad luck or <laughs> run out of fuel toward the end or whatever. It just uh, always felt bad for the Bollies, no matter who drove the car. Uh, it seemed the same kind of result. Gus Alexson from Ohio finished seventh. Brian Herb finished eighth. Tommy Leeson, a nice finish for old Snoopy, finishing in ninth. And Jimmy Winks, tenth in the 07. Kind of ironic that he did end up finishing the Classic, just uh, not as competitively as he would have liked. But look at the next three in the finishing order. Tom Gush... In the Ernie and Bob June car, never raced at a Swiggle in a Super Modified before. I don't believe he'd ever sat in the car before that weekend and finished 11th. Donnie Joya finished 12th in 99, just a, a tremendous run for Don. And Double O Joe, his first classic ever, 13th place, and he's still running classics 40 years later. Mike Schroberlein finished 14th in the 14. Jamie Moore, 15th in the... J.K. Tobin, 21. Bobby Stelter, 16th in the 04. I'm sure he's very. I'm sure those two were both very disappointed with those finishes. They were far better than that that year. Uh, Freddie Graves, 17th in the 38. Uh, Eddie Bellinger, 18th. Ray Sand, 19th in the 71 car. That was uh, former Buckner, 36, I believe. Uh, Dave Schillick finished in 20th. Dave was another one. He had a bunch of seconds. But man just could never do it. I'm I'm happy that Junior has uh, to get the Schillick family a win, even if Senior could never quite get it done. Mike Rizzo, Brad Lichty, Lou Bannister, Warren Conium, and Dean Hogue through 25th. And that was another uh, little story of 1980 that it, we could stop to remember. It, that, that was the year that Dean Hogue had Maynard Troyer build him a new Supermodified. That thing, I... I would almost say that that may have been the most beautiful supermodified, both in design and in appearance with the, the graphics. It was the simplest white with a nice number. I mean, the, the, the car, the profile, the car was just drop-dead gorgeous. Maynard finished fifth with it the first time out, drove it for a couple weeks to kind of get it dialed in. Finally, Dean took it over, and he was fast with it, but it just, um, you know, he ended up in a bad crash of the Classic, collected Ronnie Wallace. I think Luke Palker was in it um, as well. And, you know, they were 25th, 26th, and 27th, Hogue, Wallace, and Palker. But that car, that Troyer car, I really think if they would have given it more time in its original kind of design and just sort of tweaked on that design, I really believe that car would have worked. It's it's really sad to me. Maynard built three Supers in his career, and uh, if you think about it, the only one that had a long shelf life was the one he built for Skip Matzik that Gary Ewell drove. And then the other two were the one he built for Hogue originally. The Matzik one was kind of um, was was that that was around for quite a bit of time. And he built Maynard built a third one for Yule, and 
that car again a gorgeous race car and gary just oh i can still see that crash in my head today in turn three i don't know if the throttle stuck or what happened but he it's a good thing the fence was steel or he didn't knock that thing right down and that car just oh i and it didn't it never returned to action just really sad because i think maynard um you know, he built three really gorgeous supers and uh, just never uh, never did uh, pan out for him on that side of the business. But, boy, their modified and dirt modified business still continues to hum. Um, back to the classic finish. Palker was 27th. Um, Brad Thrall, 28th in the Skip Massick 3. Brian Mackrath, 29th in the Loose Moose Express, number 40. Barry Can 30th in the 66. And the rest of the field, Bentley Warren, Russ Sauter. Um, little did we know, gosh, yeah, Russ, uh, killed in a time trial wreck in, uh, the following year's classic weekend, 1981, um, man, and, uh, at least he made the classic in 1980. What a thrill that must've been for him. It was him and his girlfriend, Brenda Schober. They had, they had an old Swift car from, I think 19, I think it was the 68 version of the, of Swift's car, uh, Gosh, that thing had been through. It was tired, and uh, it looked certainly looked and ran nothing like Nolan's car at that point. But um, gosh, Russ just was having a great time and just loved to race. And you always hate to see that. Bob Seelman, thirty third. Don Romich, wow, had the distinction of being uh, Mister Thirty Fourth and final finisher that year in nineteen eighty. But uh, a, a a really Again, a very transitional year. Uh, the classic, because I think of of the rookies that were involved with Donnie and Joe and Tom Gush, you know, and I I think there was some that was that was a year that the the classic may not have had quite as many cars as usual, but it certainly had a nice variety. And like I said, there were there were a few kind of new spices in there to to pay attention to and uh uh just great to see jimmy lead all 200 laps that's never been duplicated ritzkis came close i think he was three laps short if i'm not mistaken um and but but other than that nobody's been able to do that and i don't really think in this day and age honestly you're gonna see anyone do it i just i just don't that was the perfect storm and really uh in all honesty in my opinion and i think I, I i probably would get some uh some agreement i think from some folks who know better than me but i think that was um in his own quiet way i think jimmy was making a statement and you know that was a that was a huge victory for him and uh sadly the last big victory that he would get big victory that he would get at the Oswego Speedway. Um, you know, 1981 just wasn't a, a great year. He ran, again, ran a, a few shows and didn't have a whole lot of success in 81. And then in 82, came back with Clyde Booth, and, uh, you know, they struggled all year with motor issues, couldn't get the car to handle the way they wanted it to. And then, um, obviously, on Classic Weekend, uh, he was lost his life in a crash in the modified 200 and man it just uh so 1980 was really for for a number of reasons looking back for me it was a very transitional year but 
Um, that classic and watching Jimmy do it, he did. I just remember sitting in the grandstand and somewhere, probably, I don't know, lap 150, maybe 160, somewhere in the later part of the race, I remember my brother and I were sitting in front of my parents that year, and I remember turning around to my dad and saying, Jimmy's led every lap so far, and my dad just kind of looked at me and said, the way he's going, he's liable to lead them all. And that didn't sink in to me in that moment, the magnitude of what that would mean. You know, I was just too busy cheering for him and um, hoping he would finish it out, and he did. And, uh, you know, I don't even know, to be honest, when I realized, um, I mean, I was still fairly young at that point, 14 or 15, I guess. I don't know. Four, uh, th- let's see, maybe th- uh, 12, actually, uh, at that point. And so, you know, I I don't think I really understood the the depth of the magnitude of that. Um, but I sure do now. And looking back, uh, I'm just thankful that happened to be honest. So, uh, hope you enjoyed that. That was, you know, and again, it's, um, man, not being able to, to have classic weekend this year. I know everybody that's listening to this show in one way or another is whether you're a driver or you're a team owner, or you're just a fan or whatever track official who knows, but everybody's, everybody's sad, mad, frustrated, disappointed, uh, you know, all of those things, half of those things, and everybody's uh, very emotional right now uh, because it's not going to happen this year. Uh, And, you know, that kind of transitions me into something that I, you know, I feel the need to uh, communicate here. And listen, um, you know, I, I, I don't... There are a few things I try to avoid in my radio shows, and generally politics is one of them. Um, But this year has been such an extraordinary set of events, hasn't it, for all of us? And I don't want to, I don't want to get into um, the deeper side of the politics of it all, and I'm not going to debate anything related to the virus, but there is an issue that's going on that I feel like we need to confront here and, and that I need to, uh, to try to communicate to you. And that is that our sport in general, motorsports as a sport, has been beaten to death in 2020. And the the reason that that's happened, I mean, obviously the virus happened and, you know, we can, I'm not going to discuss, you know, my thoughts about shutdowns or whatever, but the result of the shutdowns. And, the, and, and, and I understand that motorsports doesn't exist in this situation in a vacuum. I mean, the whole economy, all, all kinds of industries. But I want to focus on motorsports because it's a motorsport show. And this is, you know, it's, it's a lot of people's livelihood. And we're all fans of it. And we all ought to be concerned and compassionate about taking care of it and making sure that it continues to grow and thrive. Because if we've learned one lesson from 2020, it's how easily things can be taken 
and go away and how hard it is to get them back in the form that they were in when you lost them. Motorsports in 2020 has taken a beating from the ground up or the top down, however you want to look at it. Uh, And I'm very concerned. And what we've seen over the course of the last six months or so since the shutdown happened is that about half the country is up and running again. Things in some places are going better than things are in other places. But here's a common pattern, and we cannot ignore this, and we cannot get mad when when this comes up. We all have to understand that I'm, I'm discussing this in a motorsports light here. And my concern is that if this does, if the situation that we have now continues to be the situation into the year 2021, our sport will not survive, will not survive another year like this one. I have spent a good deal of time communicating with track owners, with track promoters, with people in the motorsports industry who own companies, um, you know, obviously drivers, teams, uh, across the country this this year, and even in the last month, and I've really tried to understand what's going on in different areas. And there's a common uh, denominator that occurs across every single state in this union that is run by Democrat governors, and that is that small business. Now, understand motorsports tracks racing tracks as in oswego speedway fulton speedway star speedway sandusky Speedway. okay at the grassroots level saturday night short tracks are small businesses these are not hobbies and those who are fans i think sometimes don't really understand how a small business operates or what it means to cash flow it and you know income and and expenses and you know what what has to be spent on a saturday night or friday night or whenever the track races on a given weekend and um you know what gets spent before the first fan goes through the gate that you can't get back even if you rain out all those types of things i've had the experience of promoting race tracks and i've had you know the opportunity to work with series so I, I, I understand what goes on here, and I can tell you that even in the areas like my area down here in the south, where I'm in North Carolina, we have a Democratic governor who is just destroying small business. And when you, when you attack or you squash or you diminish in any sort of way small business from thriving in your state the 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 ability for small business to survive uh an attack like this virus or you know to get through a, a shutdown or whatever and not make money not generate income the ability of a small business to do that is much more unstable than a large corporation 
And so when we look at the motorsports landscape right now, people see that NASCAR is, is up and running again. And, and and they're running all three of their national divisions, and they're running the ARCA series. And, and you know, IndyCar is running. F1's starting to run again or has started to run again. Now, most, I mean, IndyCar, I think, is a reduced schedule. F1, I think, is less races total for the year. I don't think they're going to make them all up, obviously. Um, NASCAR Cup did get all the races in. They had to run, you know, they had to switch some of them around so you ran more races at, at some tracks than you were supposed to or whatever, but they got them in. But NASCAR has a billion-dollar TV contract for the Cup Series to help them offset the loss of the fans that come into the grandstand and provide all of that cash flow from the tickets and, and the concessions and the souvenirs and whatever have you. And so NASCAR was able to manage that. I don't know if even with that contract, they can manage another year like that. But they obviously have a fighting chance because of that, that TV money. Short tracks like Oswego Speedway, um, you know, Star Speedway, uh, the, 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 the typical local Saturday night short track just doesn't have other revenue to offset what they're, they're losing uh, from, from the fans. Now, some tracks in some areas that run, you know, six, seven divisions a night or five divisions a night, they can get by paying the purse for those divisions, but you're not seeing those tracks have a lot of the big money shows that they, you know, had scheduled. And that's why divisions, for example, like the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour, I think they've only run five times or six times this year. Out of a 17-race schedule, they're going to be lucky to get seven or eight. Um, they, they have a $70,000 sanction fee that you have to pay in order to get them to run a show at your racetrack. Well, you know, tracks, if you don't have fans, you know, or you only have a reduced capacity, you can't show out $70,000 plus all your other expenses that you have um, and, and, and not lose a small fortune. So the numbers just don't work. So this is, this is why we, we've got to learn that we're not in, we don't exist in a vacuum. So when you look around and you see that there are patterns and that there are certain things that are going on, and the, the simple truth is that the Democratic-controlled states, of which most of the Northeast outside of New Hampshire falls into that category, um, you know, you get California, you get Washington, uh, Oregon, I mean, very, 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 North Carolina, South Carolina, the, very, um, motorsports is, is hurting big time in those areas. Um, you know, I went to a track last night, uh, Caraway Speedway in Asheboro, and uh, we had a, a, a Smart Modified Tour race. If you don't know what the Smart Modified Tour is, then you're probably not as old as me. <laughs> uh, the Smart Tour started in 1989. It ran up until 2004 uh, when NASCAR's Wheeland Southern Modified Tour kind of came in and took over the South. And then, 
you know, NASCAR just sort of blew the South off a few years ago and combined the, put the tour back up in New England in the Northeast for the most part and uh, threw us a few bones down here. Um, and so there was kind of a void uh, for for modifieds. And so a lot of the guys that are have been longtime modified racers who were a part of the original Smart Tour brought the tour back. And I was recruited to be part of the 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 staff and uh to handle some PR and promotion and 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 uh still not exactly sure where it's all going but it's a huge opportunity for me because those of you who have known me for a long time know that there are two classes that I love more than anything else and they're the supers and the modifieds and so for me to be able to be a part of bringing back a a touring series that was so uh glorious here in the south was such a uh it was such a big part of of southern modified racing for so long um it was pretty special and so i got i got the call on wednesday morning and we raced last night and so that's why this show is is as late as it is being able to get done because i had to kind of scramble and help them with things and and prepare for uh we had practice on friday went up and and spent uh, the afternoon and evening there. And then, um, you know, we raced last night, and ironically enough, a guy named Brian Lofton, who was the last driver to win before the Smart Tour went into hiatus, was the first guy to win Chapter 2. As Chapter 2 started of the the Tour's journey, um, got the win last night. It was a cool deal, 16 cars. But again, we had maybe, I'm going to guess, about 1,500 Maybe, maybe closer to 2,000 fans there. Um, and again, I was looking around from the tower. I had a good view of the entire grandstand, and people were socially distanced, and, you know, groups were sort of huddled together, and everybody left plenty of space. And then the neat part about a lot of the tracks here in the south that I don't see as often up north is um, they have the ability to have tailgating around the outside wall, around the outside of the facility. And uh, so we had vehicles from about halfway down the back straightaway all the way around to turn four. They were spaced out six feet apart. Um, The parking spots were kind of cordoned off as such. And um, it was was great, but I'm pretty sure they'll probably, because I'm sure somebody will scream, they'll probably get a letter from our... You know, Governor Cooper, um, you know, it, it, racetracks, we, we Tri-County Speedway, about uh, an hour from here, was shut down by the uh, the governor for having fans. You know, the, the, the motorsports is just being squished like a bug by these Democrat governors under the guise of safety. You can you can gather in thousands as long as you're protesting, and you can burn buildings and loot and steal and riot and just act like savage animals. And the governors won't bother you a bit. But those of us who are trying to just make a living and keep ourselves going during this this time 
um, we're, we're being we're being held down. And again, I understand we're not the only industry. Um, New York is the worst. My gosh, that Andrew Cuomo is. Uh, I mean, I, I've never seen uh, you can't you. You know, for those of you who are outside New York, and you don't know what's going on. You you can you 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 can go to a bar, but in order to go to the bar, you got to eat something. Chicken wings aren't real food. Yes, he really said that. So you got to eat real food. You can't shoot darts. You can't dance. There can't be music. There can't, you can't like you just you can't shoot pool. Um, you know, you can shoot other people in New York City. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, and that's happening every day, and that's okay. Here's my point. I don't want to get too lost in, in, a, in a rant here, but I, I want to try to make a cogent point here. We can't avoid the politics of this thing. The Democrats are the ones keeping their states locked down. No matter the numbers, it's way beyond COVID. This is, this is a bigger, larger plan to keep the economy bad. To, to hold the economy back because they feel like it's it's one way that they can win the election and get back in power. And I'm just here to tell you, you don't want that. We can't, our sport cannot take the chance that these people get into power and then want to push their socialist agenda and start, you know, we we because honestly, we don't know what they would do. We don't know how long they would keep the states shut down. They are oblivious to the real effect on real working class people because they're not real working class people. Andrew Cuomo in New York State is is making a quarter of a million dollars, you know, and wrote a book on how good his coronavirus response was, despite the fact that he killed tens of thousands of people by shoving sick people with COVID into nursing homes with the most vulnerable of our population. And it wasn't like he didn't know, you know, but but this is what we're up against here. We we have to the motorsports community cannot afford to to allow these democrats to have any more power than we 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 just we can't get rid of Cuomo because he's not up for vote but in New York and Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Michigan I mean anywhere where you're listening if you've got a if you, 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 you just look, trust me, vote red. And, and this is not about Trump. This is not even about Republicans, honestly. But we know what's happening in these states. I mean, my gosh, the state of Maine shut down with less than 100 cases in the state of over a million. Um, and, and there were 13 in the hospital. And that governor shut it down, and she still got it locked down tight. I don't, I don't know how people are going to survive. New York City's exit numbers and what i mean by that is people hightailing it out of new york city is up 46.2 percent so far this year over a year ago um 
it's it's this is not a good situation. If you care about motorsports at all, you've got to. You have got to vote red. We cannot keep these people in power. We've got to get these states back open. We've got to get businesses back running. And you cannot, we cannot take the chance that this goes on for another year because I'm telling you what, we aren't going to have a sport left. And this isn't just about me. Yes, I make a living from the sport, but so do a lot of other people. And the effect on the economy is just incredible. And I don't really honestly, IndyCar is, is going to be just about out of business because if they hadn't run the Indy 500, there would have been teams that would have been done. They needed that, that, that purse money. They needed that infusion of cash. This, this is a sponsor-driven business. If, if, if business is not healthy, the business doesn't sponsor things. And if business isn't sponsoring things in the sport, the sport goes down. So if you care about motorsports at all, you've got to you know, put down your, your personal agenda. I don't care if you don't like Trump. I don't care if you don't like this guy or that girl or whatever. This isn't even about that. It's about saving our sport because trust me when I tell you, you're not going to see this on, you know, national TV because they just don't care about motorsports enough or really small business in general enough. But you see stories every day about how small business in, in a lot of these states is really failing. And motorsports is a small business. So you've got to do the right thing. I don't care if it's dog catcher. Vote red. Get rid of every Democrat you can. And, and, and we've got to start over here because – you are, I'm telling you, it's that bad. Motorsports can't do another year like this. And those of you who think this is just about COVID and wearing masks, I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's not. If it were, they'd be, they'd be testing and they'd be, temper, they'd be checking rioters for, for, for temperature and, and making them wear masks. So, I mean, this is, we, we all got to use a little common sense here. I'm sorry that I had to do that. I hate it. But you know what? Every once in a while, you just got to get down to business here. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to see our sport fail. I feel bad for these track owners in these states. And, it, it, you know, New York is one of the, obviously one of the worst states for, for the governor just abusing his people. So, you know, we just got to make a change here, make a statement. And, and that's, we can't, we just can't let this happen again. Um, I don't like the sports chances at all, and I'm not alone. It, it cannot do another year the way it did this one. We're barely going to limp through this, but there will probably be some short tracks that just simply won't survive it um, when it comes to, to reopening next year. Um, and if the situation is the same as it is right now, there are tracks that won't reopen next year and they'll just be gone because they still have to pay expenses on their property. They got to pay taxes. They still got to keep, you know, water running and lights on and all of that just so that, you know, things don't go wrong um, and they're not making any income. So we, we have to, as a community, we have to take care of our community and make a statement. And I am encouraging all of you, um, if 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 your leader is is not small business focused, it's not even just about the sport. If your if your leader, local, state, federal, is not focused on small business, vote them out. And I say vote red, but I'm sure some of you, um, you know, probably know some Republicans that are that are at the local or the state level or whatever. Look, I don't care. Vote them out. 
We need small business friendly people and people that understand that you can't keep a state shut down um, for, for months on end and expect your citizens to survive. It's the unemployment rate is not this is everybody's pinning this on Trump. It's ridiculous. Trump didn't shut the states down. Governors did. And it's governors that are keeping it shut down. It's not Trump. So, you know, any, I'm sorry, but it's just the truth. You can and I don't even want any argument about that in the comments for this show because I'll delete them. I'm not interested in arguing politics. I know the drill. We need to stand up as a community to save our sport. There's my rant. I'm sorry if that, you know, made you mad or unnerved you. But, um, okay, that's, uh, folks, that, that's, that's all I'm going to say for tonight. Um, I hope that all of you really are enjoying these shows. Uh, we're going to try to – I'll try to get Eric Iosu for uh, next week and again. Hopefully, if we can put this together, I want to do uh, a classic Sunday Inside Groove Live. So um, I'll work on that as the week unfolds here. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, we're going to keep these classic theme shows going. We'll go past, obviously, the classic itself. But I want to actually get through all of the five-year increments up to. And it gives us a little theme to uh, kind of have some consistency in the shows and uh, we're still gonna. I've got a, a good list of uh, guests here. I've got some. I've got. I I thought of. Uh, I think somebody that'll be a really interesting guest. And I want to thank Brian Cavalier too. If Brian's listening, um, I want to thank you, Brian, because Brian took the time to send me uh, a very thoughtful Facebook message the other night. And I apologize, Brian, that I haven't responded. I was involved with uh, the Smart Modified Tour stuff the last couple nights. And uh, Brian sent it to me, I think, on Friday. And so um, I will respond. But uh, he sent me a, a nice, thoughtful uh, Facebook message about uh, how much he's enjoying. He went and kind of binge listened to catch up on some of the shows that he missed over the winter and how much he enjoys the show. I appreciate hearing that. Um, and I really, you know, the feedback that you guys give me helps me to sort of um, determine direction for future shows here because I want to do things that you enjoy. Um, you know, the one caveat that I've put out from the start is that, you know, this is this is my show, and once in a while, um, you know, I'm going to crow. And this show obviously gave me a couple of opportunities to do that, and none of this is meant to be personal toward anybody. I want to stress that in the last, the first segment when I was talking about you know, the, the various organizations or whatever, none of this is personal. Um, it's, it's just my overview of wanting to see the super modified big block cars, um, continue to grow and thrive. And I, I just think, you know, again, we're at a point where we are going to have to confront the fact that if we're going to stay as three separate groups, um, you know, then, we we've we've got to come up with a plan because we can't just keep doing what we're doing and expect that somehow some way suddenly we're going to get an infusion of cars i think we've got to be open to making some changes that can bring the cost down a little bit because there is no way that we can justify a purse increase we just can't there's not enough fans um the tracks don't, as it is right now, I mean, you, can't, you cannot go to a racetrack and ask them for a $25,000 purse and bring 
13 cars to the track or 14 cars because it the numbers just don't add up. And I'll still cover whatever is there with as much passion and enthusiasm as I can. Um, but I, I every once in a while, I, I, you know, you just got to say what you feel. So um, hope you guys are all uh, safe and, and doing well. And certainly I'm excited about next weekend because, like I said, I'm going to try to do uh, do have a race to go to at Hickory on Saturday night. So um, it will either be during, <clears throat> excuse me, during the day on Saturday or during the day on Sunday. Um, and uh, we'll see what we can put together here uh, for the Inside Groove Live. But we're going to have uh, episode 58 one way or the other. And I was I meant to ask Cam about 57 to see who he remembered. The only one I can come up with is Buddy Deal. I have nothing else for the number 57, and I know that there are at least a couple of more that I'm just not thinking of, but I remember Buddy Deal. If anybody else has got another 57, by all means, Robert Metcalf is, is he, he does this like a boss, um, you know, and and usually comes up with one or two that I didn't think about. I, I know there, there's, there's been one or two more besides, uh, besides Buddy, but he's the only one I can think about. And, um, gosh, I wonder where he is. If anybody knows anything about Buddy Deal, let me know. Because I, uh, I, I would really like to track him down. He was one of those drivers that was, uh, he was a great guy, really interesting driver. Um, I think at one point uh, he had or drove for somebody else, I can't remember, the uh, old show car Bali car, I think. Um but yeah, so I, I think he's the only one I, he's the only one I can remember. Um so if anybody else got a fifty seven, <laughs> by all means put it in the comments. Don't send it to me uh in a in a Facebook message. Put it in the comments so everybody else can uh enjoy it. And um and then and then you let me know it's there and I'll go chase it and, and comment on it. So um thanks to everybody who listens and again, uh sorry this show got a little bit ranty, but every once in a while it's just you know, it's just got to come out. So uh, I hope I always do it for a purpose. I hope it makes people stop and think a little bit. Um, agreement is never required uh, when I debate something. And I, I might mention it, but uh, <laughs> just a reminder a week or two before the election. But uh, again, think about it because it, it, it's a serious issue. Have a great week, everybody. It's Classic Weekend coming up. By the way, one more thing before I close. Um, I don't know everybody that's that's set up their campsites at uh, at the track and is <laughs> going to go through with the Classic Weekend camping, but, man, I, I'm feeling it. I just want you all to know I'm feeling it. I want to be there so badly. Nothing I'd love more than to be able to come up and just sit and hang out. Um, you know, it's it's just uh, I'm, I'm still in a state that uh, – your um your dictator there prime minister cuomo is uh as deemed as a quarantine state and i can't afford to uh quarantine up there for two weeks so can't join you but uh hopefully we can go live at some point next saturday or sunday i'll i'll try to have my schedule worked out by tuesday or wednesday so i can give you guys some notice and let you know what's going on but we're going to have a regular show either way um and we'll get to the if we just for some reason if we can't do the live show next week we'll certainly uh get to it uh at some point here in the next couple but uh 
I'm really going to try hard to get us something on Sunday for a little while because I think that would be fun to just sit and talk about classic. What are your memories? What are your thoughts? And, and throw out some sort of, you know, directional questions and let people give some input and just uh, just use the technology to uh, kind of still celebrate what Classic Weekend is all about. And to me, honestly, uh, as much as it's about the racing, it's about the the family getting together. It's kind of a family reunion. And um, ever since I was a kid, the campsite, just seeing all the campers, um, I know there's not as many as there used to be, obviously, but it still gives me goosebumps. And uh love to be up there just sort of chilling with all of you. Um, and, you know, just know that I'm with you in spirit, uh, if not in person. So hopefully we'll be able to catch you live next weekend. We'll have a show either way. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your week. And um, for our sponsors, Skip's Fish Fry, Sean Cathcart and his staff, uh, of course, Rich Worth and JNS Paving, um, so much support from both of them for Supermodified Racing and also, of course, from our title sponsor, presenting sponsor, Jeff West and uh, Indie Performance Composites. Thank you to all of them. Please support those businesses. I'm Tom Baker. Have a great week. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.